Welcome to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We're excited you've joined us as we hear what God has to say to us through Scripture and this message from Pastor Paul. So we're studying the New Testament letter to the Colossians, written by the Apostle Paul while he's in prison. This church in Colossae is a new church plant. Now, how many of you parents, grandparents, can relate to this? As you're raising your child, there's a whole lot of do this, don't do that. But when they get a little older, you can't just tell them what to do, so you have to tell them how to think. Because you realize as a parent, as a grandparent, you can't always be there to help them make every decision. Nor is that good for them. Because at some point, your child needs to make a transition from just doing what they're told to determining what they should do. And without that transition, they either don't know who to listen to, and therefore they will just listen to and believe anything or anybody, or they'll make bad decisions because they don't know how to make good decisions. Likewise, the Apostle Paul is writing this letter, and he's conducting himself like a dad. And he's writing to this church because he can't be there with them. He's pretty far away in prison. And he's teaching them how to think for themselves so they don't believe just anything that would come their way. And what he's teaching them today are three counterfeits to Christianity. Now, Paul doesn't tell us the names of these groups. He doesn't list the names of the leaders of these, of these groups because it's helpful for us to know that in each generation, the groups change, the leaders change, but the ideology remains. So we're going to look at each of these three counterfeits to Christianity, and I'm going to warn you in advance. Many of you, if not most of you, are going to be offended. And if you're not, I'm not doing my job. Because we tend to have one of these three dispositions at work in us. So here's counterfeit number one. It's all about lawmaking, and so we'll label it legalism. Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, the Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, Or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day, these are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So he's saying there are some things that are shadow, there are some things that are substance. In case you don't know, shadows aren't real. They point to something real, but the shadows in and of themselves are not real. Any one of you can come up here and step on my shadow, and I can guarantee you it will not hurt me. (laughs) The shadow is not the thing that's most important. It's the substance that it is. So what the Apostle Paul is saying here is that a lot of rules and regulations are like shadows sort of cascading off of Jesus. And once you meet Jesus, once you meet the real thing, shadows don't really matter. 
How many of you don't have on your desk the shadow of the person you love? All right? Because shadows are not a big deal. It's the substance that's the big deal. So what the Apostle Paul is talking about is he's saying that religion and spiritualities tend to trip us up. Because those things are about what you can eat, what you can't eat, what you can drink, what you can't drink, or, or what about holidays and religious holy days? I mean, almost every family celebrates some aspect of Christmas or Easter differently. And then what do you do with Halloween, huh? You know, it actually began as a Christian memorial to departed saints. It kind of doesn't feel that way anymore, does it? The whole point is different people have different opinions. And what can come into play in our differences is something called legalism. So here's legalism. God's laws plus my laws. God, you did a really good job making some rules. You seem to have missed a few. I'll help. <laughs> You're welcome. So I've added two new books to the Bible, first and second opinions, just so that you know my viewpoint. So how does legalism begin? It begins with a person struggling with something, some temptation, something that was very difficult. And this person made a rule to guard themselves. Now, that's not a bad thing. Uh, let's suppose your struggle is with alcohol, so you make some boundaries for your life, and you decide, I, I can't drink, and I'm not going to go to social events where there will be drinking because I could get into trouble. Is that a good boundary, a good safeguard? Yeah, that's totally fine. For someone else, maybe it's the internet. You get into trouble with having the internet so accessible, so you decide, I'm not going to have the internet in my house. That's okay. Those are guardrails for your life, knowing that there are certain areas where you are weak and you will struggle, but here's where it becomes a problem. It's when you demand that others adopt your rules. This is the person who says, all internet use is evil, unplug it. That's a rule. It's the person who says, Jesus didn't drink wine, it was grape juice. No, it was, it was wine. So these are rules for you, not for everybody. See, God gets to make rules for everybody. You can make rules for you, but you don't get to make rules for everybody. So as a result, this person judges others because they don't obey their rules. Let me give you some modern-day debates, so maybe some other ones. Bible translation. You ever seen people fight about that? Yeah, it happens. True story. I've heard of someone say this about the King James Version. If it was good enough for the Apostle Paul, it's good enough for me. Just so you know, the King James Bible was published in 1611, about 1,550 years after the Apostle Paul. Now, I'm not slamming the King James Bible. There are some passages of Scripture that will always sound 
best in the King James, like the 23rd Psalm, for instance. If that's your translation of choice, go for it. Or how about this one? Worship style. Some of you are like, give me Chris Tomlin, Jesus culture, and Hillsong all day long, and others don't have a clue who that is. And they think that unless it was written before 1850, it doesn't belong in the church. So no matter which way you, you fall on, if you think that your way is the only right way, and no one else has the freedom to express the worship of the Lord Jesus in any other way, you've just made a law, and we've just exposed your idol. Another debate. What about kids' education? Homeschooled? Private school? Christian school? Public school? Sure, one of those. Or what about political party? Some think that if you're really a Christian, you'll be fill in the blank of your political affiliation. Bottom line, you can have your preferences, but don't let your preferences become your prejudices. Don't think the way that you operate according to your conscience is the way everybody should operate. That's legalism. Your intent may be to safeguard yourself and protect other people, and it comes to the point where you'll have rules about the rules and laws about the laws, and you'll end up with the situation where Jesus was confronted by religious leaders because he didn't act according to their laws. Not that Jesus broke any of God's laws. He was breaking their religious traditions. I don't think they even consulted God's laws anymore, to be truthful. Because their manual <laughs> told them how they should act, how they should speak, what all they needed to know. And if that's the case, pretty soon you stop studying God's law and you stop trying to work on a relationship with him and you don't need the Holy Spirit, you don't need the Word of God because the manual tells you everything you need to know. So here's an illustration to help you see where you may be going too far. God's laws are, are like a fence. They're there to protect his kids from harm. And when you jump the fence of God's law, that's when you get into trouble. What people do that are law-making, legalistic, they say, okay, God, that's a good fence. But I think we need a fence inside the fence. Well, that fence is still a little close to danger. So I think we need a fence inside the fence inside the fence. Next thing you know, it's a prison. And it's all about control. All right, counterfeit number two. We'll call this mysticism. Let me define for you. Mysticism is, according to the dictionary, religious ecstasy based on a particular practice or experience. The Apostle Paul continues, verse 18, Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. This is where someone says, you're not spiritual enough. So they're into angels, dreams, visions. 
They are the folks who say, I don't need the Bible. God speaks to me directly. God tells me things that he doesn't tell anyone else. Paul continues, such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up, arrogant, with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head, that's Jesus Christ, from whom the whole body, that's the church, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Mysticism defined another way is that it's all about spirituality and sensuality. So spirituality, that component, is visions, dreams, angels, paranormal activity. And mysticism is also sensual, as in it incorporates all your senses, but not your mind. So let's go back and define mysticism functionally. This is the person who says, I get closer to God through my spiritual experiences, and that's what I'm going to pursue. So give me angels. Give me visions. Give me something supernatural. I don't want to just read the Bible. I want something bigger and better. Here's the problem with mysticism. This person wants to be close to God. That's a good thing. But they create a spiritual experience ladder that doesn't lead to Jesus. So demonic forces are happy to keep them distracted. You want a vision? We'll give you a vision as long as you're not going to Jesus. What does this look like in today's non-Christian world? It's about trying to get to a higher level of consciousness. So this is new age. It's spirituality advocated by Oprah Winfrey and Deepak Chopra. It's all about spiritual experiences that aren't connected to the real Jesus of the Bible. And it makes you feel inferior. That's why Paul says, don't let them disqualify you. Oh, you believe in the Bible? You're one of those primitive people. Jesus, you're still talking about him? That was thousands of years ago. Haven't you moved on? And you should know there are versions of this that even appear within the church. So it's like there are varsity and junior varsity Christians. And until you have a certain spiritual experience, you're still junior varsity. Here's the list. There are those who say speaking in tongues is a spiritual hierarchy. So if you speak in tongues, you're holier than someone who doesn't. Same might be said about fasting, going on a mission trip getting a vision from God, a method of baptism, figuring out who your guardian angel is, healing someone, getting the right Bible translation, letting your mind go to the end times and trying to figure all that out. It's you trying to climb a, a rung on the ladder 
of spirituality, to get you closer to God, being more spiritual, you think. Here's what I need you to know. On Team Jesus, there is no JV. Just like in a family where there should be no favorites. So in God's family, he doesn't play favorites. He loves and serves all of his kids. Counterfeit number three is asceticism. This is almost the opposite of mysticism that we just looked at. Mysticism is that pursuit of ecstatic experiences. We just talked about that. Asceticism, on the other hand, is the avoidance of all pleasures. Again, the Apostle Paul, verse 20. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world. Here's what I'm saying. If you're a Christian... You love Jesus, you confess your sins to Jesus, Jesus is the center of your life. Why, as though you still belong to this world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. These are things that we made up. They are not God's rules such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship. This is that group of folks who speculate about who God is, as opposed to Christianity, which is revelation from God. Nobody made up Christianity. God did. That's why Christianity is the biggest thing in the history of the world. More nations, more languages, more cultures, more people walking with, confessing to, worshiping Jesus more than anyone or anything ever. That's why in the history of the world, the biggest thing going is the church, because no one made this up. God created this family around His risen Son, Jesus. Now, counterfeits come along. Other religions, other spiritualities, and they try to co-op what God has created, but God is the creator. Satan is the counterfeiter. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. These are the people who say, I starve my body to feed my soul. Body is the physical part, soul is the spiritual part. Now, this is different from fasting because the teaching that Paul is arguing against here is the teaching that says, my body has desires and appetites and pleasures that get me into trouble. Well, you know what? That's true of all of us. Food, alcohol, drugs, sex, comfort. Heard of any of those? These are the passions and pleasure, pleasures of the physical body. And what we realize is that we can get into trouble with our physical body. And this leads some to think that the body is evil and therefore to be really spiritual is to avoid anything that has to do with the physical body. 
So here's what happened to the person who focuses on this version of spirituality. They've seen and they've experienced overindulgence. Now, we've all seen people who have gone too far with their addictions, and it's tough to witness, and so some conclude that the body is dangerous and and pleasure is evil. Therefore, the less I eat, the holier I am. The less I drink, the holier I am. The less I enjoy the things of this life, the holier I am. The less possessions I own, the holier I am. I've done bad things. I need to suffer to pay God back. That's Buddhism. That's not Christianity. So what we need to understand is that Jesus already suffered to pay God back. So here's the good news. We know that Jesus came in a body. And he lived his life in full obedience to the law. And he didn't sin. And he brings us not only spiritual experiences, but the Holy Spirit with a whole life of spiritual experiences in a relationship with God the Father. And in a relationship with Jesus and through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, we can decide what we're supposed to do with our passions and pleasures, we can live according to God's law and according to our conscience. So what Paul is basically saying is this. There are really only two ways to view spirituality. One is me at the center. So it's my rules, it's my experiences, or it's my suffering. That's what makes me godly. The other view is Jesus. Jesus obeyed all of God's laws and he died so that I can be forgiven. My spiritual experience then is in relationship to Jesus. And when I walk with Jesus, I know what's good and bad for me. And I can walk according to my conscience without imposing my rules on everyone else. Aren't you glad it's not man-made rules we have to worry about when it comes to our salvation? Aren't you glad it's not man-made rules we have to worry about when it comes to our walk with Jesus Christ? It's everything about what He has already done for us. We hope you found this message to be encouraging. We'd love for you to join us on Sunday mornings Find us on Facebook and Instagram and at bhprez.org for more information.